and welcome to The Abstract on CFUR 88.7 FM, also online at cfur.ca. Today I'm broadcasting from the traditional unceded territories of the Klaitle Tene First Nation. On the show, I interviewed Anne Duong, who is soon to be a master's student at UNBC, but she's got tons of research experience as an undergrad, and she's currently serving as one of UNBC's research ambassadors. So we talked quite a bit about the different projects that she's worked on throughout her time at UNBC, as well as what the research ambassadors program is about, and some tips for students who might be interested in getting involved with research at UNBC. On today's show, rather than choosing music that falls into the theme of the researcher that we interviewed, I've instead chosen music by black artists. This is of course just one way to amplify black voices in this period of time where we're all dealing with the pain of watching that video of George Floyd, an unarmed black man, be murdered by a Minneapolis Police Department. So the first track you're going to hear today is from the Canadian-based rapper Shad, and this song is The Fool Part One. Get it, got it, good. Uh. Get it, got it, good. They can't kill us because they can't see us because they only see fear. Get it, got it, good. They can't kill us because they can't see us because they only see fear. Get it, got it, good. Damn, it feels good to be back. Damn, it feels good to be black. They keep on killing us, we just keep killing it. Mama said killing is not where the ailing is. Couldn't speak back. Lord knows she been through it. She said a human is not who the villain is. She said it's fear. It's greed and it's pride. You see it inside. That's what the system is built on and what it instills in us. Now I've been feeling this vibe. Honestly, the haters can hate. Just let the creators create and let the creator be judged. I mean, too many mistakes to be grudging. Besides, all of us lost without love. Maybe some never get woke Or tired of staying awake Or party all night then distraught at the state of the day But what do you make of this way that I'm walking This path that I'm on You made a way for me, hope that my map isn't wrong Nowadays my legs is weak What if my staff isn't strong? What if it breaks? Uh, who got me? Uh, you got me? Uh, I know that you got me good Get it, got it, good Get it, got it To demonstrate. I just can't wait. I just cannot be me. I just can't go back and copy me. I just cannot be free. I just can't possibly. Lessons on lessons. Legends on legends on legends. Little black boy with a poem that he showed to the reverend. Jesus saw Judas and ran up to hug the young brother. A dug at the other 11. Like, why is this traitor in heaven? He said, It's hell on earth. Anywhere love isn't present. Wherever he goes, we go together, my brethren. You get it?
today, I, Kristen, am flying solo. Jeremy is, uh, maybe it's very prescient, he's stuck in the field today. So I'll be taking on this interview by myself. And today on the show, we have Ann Duong, um, who is a master's student here at UMBC. So Ann, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Kristen? Thank you for inviting me. I'm great. And we're, we're really excited to have you. I think this will be a really fun show because not only to dig into your research, but to talk a lot about the other work that you've done on campus here. So uh, before we get started um, and digging into your research, can you just talk a little bit about your background and how you made it to UNBC? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm actually originally from Toronto, uh, the biggest city in Canada. And a lot of people, when I come here, ask me the question, why did you come here from Toronto? Because <laughs> there are so many universities, well-known universities in Toronto, and there's so many opportunities and the nightlife, and there's so many things to do there. And I just tell them that, you know, I grew up there my whole life, and I'm tired of being in the big city. And what actually caught my eye when I was in the subway one day was there was a big poster of this huge tree. And um, there was someone really small looking up at it and said, go to UNBC. And I thought, I would love to do that. So <laughs> I researched what UNBC was because no one really knows who you, what UNBC is or where it is even. When I say Prince George, BC, like, where's that? Um, <laughs> but I'm really, really glad that I came here because I've met some really amazing friends and had so many opportunities for research and for other things as well. Um, so I'm super glad that I'm here. And it was because I saw that poster on the subway one day. So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty wild. <laughs> I, I think like a lot of the people that are that come here are that aren't from BC originally and definitely not from northern BC. Their stories of how they got here are, yeah. are usually quite interesting. <laughs> but I think that leads to a, a nice, unique uh, body of students as well. So you did you come knowing that you wanted to like work in I think you do biochemistry if I'm not mistaken like did you know that was the path you wanted to take? Um no actually I actually originally started uh my education uh by going to Queen's University but it was in England because they have a campus there. It was actually in a big castle um oh. <laughs> yeah and I was studying global development there huh. um in economics for my first year it was a special first year program and I happened to get a scholarship and I, I went there. Um, so I actually started in like sociology and global development and sort of the humanities part. And then I decided to switch gears because um, I was always interested in um, science and I wanted to still keep my toes in there. So I, I thought I would go back here, but I still really wanted to travel and go somewhere different because I was so used to it going to Queen's University. I was in Europe, so I went everywhere. Um, so I went to UNBC and then I thought, why don't I do biochemistry here? <clears throat> and um, I really liked the program and I just stuck with it. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite the leap. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so I guess like one of the, I, the, the first time I really uh, like knew who you were, got to know who you were, was actually at the opening of a new lab for NALS, the Northern Analytical Lab Services um, on campus at UMBC. So it seems like uh, you got your foot in the door for research um, early on, maybe in your undergrad. Can you just speak a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, for sure. So in my first year, I already knew I wanted to do research because um, I was really sick of just being in lectures all the time and I want to do something practical and hands-on and apply that knowledge. Um, so I approached one of the professors that um, I was interested in, Dr. Chow Lee, 
um, and uh, he was doing research on um, exploring cancerous compounds, um, sorry, compounds that can uh, mitigate the, the issues around cancer um, in mushrooms and fungi. Um, and I was interested in that. I, I told him I wanted to volunteer in his lab and perhaps pursue an undergraduate research project with him in the future. And um, so I volunteered in my first year of my undergrad, and then later on it progressed into an honors thesis. Um, and in that thesis, I was looking at uh, designing these oligonucleotides, or uh, to simply put it, um, DNA molecules, uh, sorry, RNA molecules that can bind onto this um, RNA that can translate into this cancerous protein called KRAS. So essentially by binding to it, it can inhibit that RNA from being translated. Um, so that was the goal of that project. So I started in a biochemistry related research project. And then later on, um, I approached Dr. Hussein Kazimian, um, and then I wanted to do something related to environmental chemistry. Um, so then I did a research project on trying to detect and analyze these compounds called microcystins that are released from cyanobacteria in water um, and then I also tried to find a technique of removing them using natural clays and that project I'm still working on with a graduate student right now so wow yeah <laughs> yeah that's really cool how did you like uh like what was it that sparked you to jump from doing the work with Chow Li and the in the cancer side of things to yeah. your work on the environmental chemistry side of things yeah, that's a good question. Well, um, I would say, to be honest, it was all the lab work. It was strictly in the lab. Um, and I really care about human health and all that. But I was a very outdoorsy person. And I, I really cared about the environment and that part as well. So I wanted to do environmental chemistry to see, oh, do I like this better than biochemistry? And if there was a way to connect those things together. Um, and so I really got to be part of a great project that allowed me to do both of those things, to apply my knowledge of biochemistry and also to help the environment. Um, yeah, so that's what happened. And I got to go out in the field and go into a lake and actually collect samples. And I really liked that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Where, where were your, um, what lake were you guys working on for that project? Uh, yeah, so I went out uh, to Tabor Lake um, with my supervisor because oh, nice. he had a boat. So, yeah, <laughs> for the first time I was on a boat, actually. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Yeah, so that was yeah I, the, a lot of the work that I did in my master's was phosphorus related, and it was all kind of because of this issue that they have with algae and microcystin on Lake Winnipeg. So it's it's something that I know uh, is a problem like in a lot of the small lakes in northern BC, but it's such a massive like global global product, uh, problem that we have. Yeah, for sure. Wow, that's very interesting. I didn't know that you were doing that. <laughs> Yes, but I abandoned my my phosphorus roots in my PhD. <laughs> so, uh, did you? You said you're still working on that um, and that project. Are there any like positive outcomes that you've uh, come up with? I, I think I remember you were. You said you were using some sort of. Are they zeolites or something? Yeah, like that? zeolites. That's right. Because actually, Dr. Hussein Kazimian is a huge fan of zeolites. He has a bunch of zeolites in his office. And if you just <laughs> even mention the word zeolite, he will talk for hours and hours. Um, so, yeah, so for sure. Um, I was using zeolites uh, because that was one of the, the first candidates, of course, uh, working in this lab to, to use towards removing the, the toxin. 
Um, but there was actually another company, a construction company, uh, that was actually excavating um, the ground uh, to construct houses and, and such. And they approached one of our graduate students. Her name is Farzana Nargis. Um, she's from Bangladesh. And um, they wanted to ask what they can do with this clay because there was a bunch of clay deposits when they were excavating the ground. Huh. Um, and so uh, she was actually trying to investigate the use of this clay towards removing phosphorus, actually. So that's why when you mentioned the phosphorus project, I was like, wow, that's cool. Maybe you should talk to her. But um, <laughs> yeah, so um, and then afterwards, uh, she she told me, hey, why don't you try to use it for microcystin? Because actually the zeolite was able to remove it, but only about a 60 to 70% removal um, hmm. efficiency. So um, I decided to test it out and actually it was, it was really good. Um, it actually reduced the concentration of the microcystin below the detection limits and the regulatory oh, limits. Wow. Um, just 1.5 ppb, it's like a really small amount. Um, but yeah, and, and actually that finding um, was disseminated to the public in the form of a TEDx talk that I did in October. So oh, yeah, cool. so it was good. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I guess uh, I should back up because I realized that not everyone in the listening audience might know. Can you just quickly describe like what microcystin is and why it's, oh, sure. why it's a problem? Yeah, so uh, microcystin is one of the cyanotoxins or toxins that are released from cyanobacteria. Um, it's a natural process, but the problem is, is that uh, too much nutrient loading into the rivers and, and the, the waterways actually cause eutrophication, hyper-eutrophication, and all these algal blooms are actually um, producing too much of this toxin and other harmful side effects. Um, such as deoxygenating the water and causing all the animals to die in there. But aside from that, um, these toxins can actually um, cause a lot of health issues. It has been known to um, cause liver cancer and um, other issues. So, and animals have dogs who've been swimming in these lakes with a lot of these algal blooms have been known to die. And there was also another incident in Nuki Lake, I think, where a bunch of cattle also died. Oh, <laughs> wow. The lake. So, yeah, so it's a it's an issue that a lot of people are are bringing attention to now. Um, and there's really a lack of any other testing capabilities worldwide or even yeah, in Canada. There's there's nothing for microcystin detection at all, I believe. So. Huh. Mm -hmm. So is the idea with like the clay deposits, for instance, that you, you would, I would imagine you can get quite a bit of material is the idea that you would like, I don't know, essentially just like dump it yeah, in a lake. Like. Basically. Yes. And it, it acts as an adsorbent. So basically uh, there's some chemistry going on in the clays. Um, uh, it's not completely purified, so we don't really know the mechanism, but uh, it's, speculative that um, perhaps the microcystin, the, the chemistry of the microcystin, somehow it allows it to um, attach onto the uh, surface of the clays and then it just huh. stays there. So that's how it's, we're able to, that's the mechanism that's used to remove these microcystins. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah. It seems so simple, but yeah. I mean, I know it's obviously not. But. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and we still have to do a lot of work in trying to characterize the clay um, and trying to see what's actually causing the adsorption or if the adsorption is actually a mechanism or not. So, huh. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. 
Well, I think we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk more with Anne about the master's project that she's doing. listen to a track by the band Poe Girl called To the Angry Evangelist. You're listening to CFUR 88.7 FM online at cfer.ca. 
Welcome back to The Abstract. Uh, today on the show, we are talking to Anne Duong, who has quite a bit of research experience um, through her undergraduate degree at UMBC. So, Anne, uh, if you wanted to talk maybe a little bit more about the project, um, some of the things that maybe we missed or what you see moving forward with this project? Yeah, sure. So with regards to using clay as a removal technique for microcystin, um, some more things I have to figure out in the future is um, trying to purify the natural clay and trying to find and characterize the constituents within that clay. So we actually know what chemistry is going on rather than just saying, oh, it can remove it, but how? So I think that's one of the important questions that um, I have to answer moving forward. Um, and also uh, trying to see if whether or not we can even modify the clay because sometimes if you hmm. modify it with, um, so for example, the master student who I'm working with, uh, she's modifying her clay with zirconium and it actually improves the removal efficiency of phosphate much better. So that's another thing is, could we make huh. it even better um, by modifying it chemically? So that's another question that we have to answer. And yeah, I think that will keep me occupied for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so when you say characterize uh, the clays, do you mean like things like the particle size or shape, or do you mean like what metals might be attached to it? Yeah, so stuff? it's everything actually that you touched on. So mm. like what metals are in it and um, what actually, what's the surface area and the particle size, for example, or even how it even looks like using scanning electron microscopy, for example. So that could all give us insights on, on the characterization of that clay. Mm -hmm. And so once you have it characterized and like, I, I would imagine then, like you said, like there's the manipulation of it to maybe improve its efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, would there also be the idea of like, like artificially creating mm -hmm. uh, something the equivalent or is it like, well, the idea is that you use kind of a byproduct of something like an excavation and you have all this clay. Right. Well, the hope is that we can make it commercially available. We can make it uh, sort of a large scale production in the future. And that's what the company wants, actually. They want to turn this into something that they can profit from. Um, well, not only that they can profit from it, but it also helps communities. So it's sort of a win-win for everybody. So that's the goal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I guess like, and I don't know if you would know this, but in a in the situation where there's um, no use for that byproduct, like what would they usually do with it? Oh yeah, that's a good question. So actually, clays are used for a bunch of different things. So they actually approached the graduate student asking, "Oh, can you put this, for example, in in makeups or used in paint thinners, for oh. example?" So yeah, clays have a bunch oh. of different applications, not only for for this as well. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. And do you, um, so you said like you're right now you're characterizing and then you have this master's student, like is this gonna, is this kind of like a part of like a pretty broad long-term project that you foresee happening at UMBC? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because uh, we're looking at all different uh, sort of um, contaminants, not only microcystin, right? So phosphate and maybe in the future we might even look at something like glyphosate even um sure and yeah. other uh contaminants in water and soils yeah so the the possibilities are limitless i think in terms of the application yeah mm. yeah that's really yeah. cool <laughs> and i know that you are uh 
starting a master's not started yet. Um, is this kind of the, the type of project you'll be working on or do you foresee yourself shifting gears again? Um, well, knowing me, I'd love to shift gears. <laughs> I sort of am all over the place, but um, I definitely want to finish this off. But as you know, like research is never finished. So uh, no, no. I feel like this will be a lifelong thing for me. Um, so, but uh, we're also working on um, an air sampling project. Uh, we put in a proposal for that. Hmm. Um, it's trying to look at um, chromium speciation and how we can try to um, find hexavalent chromium, which is actually a workplace uh, hazard, um, and trying to uh, quantify it in a way that can meet the, the limits, the regulatory limits set out by Workplace BC and other international standards. So that's another project. And there's another project that I put forward as well. But uh, yeah, I, I won't talk about it. There's a ton of things that we're sort of all working on it now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with the, this is like maybe a bit of an obscure question, but like with, with like, how, why is there, why is there chromium and why is it like speciating in, like in, in the air? Like, where does that come yeah, from? Actually, so um, the chromium speciation occurs. Um, well, actually it's, uh, so there's two stable um, species of chromium or actually three, I think there's chromium zero as well. Um, there's some, and there's chromium three and chromium six and chromium three is actually an uh, essential nutrient for humans, so it's fine. So the one of concern is chromium six and the interconversion mm -hmm. happens usually when it's uh, in aqueous conditions. Um, so oh. it actually, causes a reduction of chromium-3. Usually it's like chromium-3, sorry, chromium-6 reduce, reduces to chromium-3. And there's a byproduct of chromium-6 when there's a lot of industrial processes happening, like from, for example, welding fumes, um, people are oh, okay. in those areas. So chromium-6 is produced from that. But the problem is it's being interconverted into chromium-3 a lot. And so we're losing much hmm. of that information on how much chromium-6 people are actually inhaling. So these workers are inhaling chromium-6 when they're um, uh, welding stainless steel, for example. So that's one of oh, the wow. issues that we're trying to find out we can mitigate using uh, different air sampling techniques and analysis techniques. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've always been absolutely fascinated with the idea of air sampling because it's so far like out of my realm. Like I've never done it. I've never seen it. Like this is such a stupid question, but like... <laughs> Like, how do you sample the air? Yeah, so actually we use um, pumps, so sample pumps. So what it does is basically sucks um, a volume of air through this um, basically machine, and there's a filter in there. And what whatever goes okay. into that filter is what we analyze. So there's a certain volume huh. of air. So, for example, it can analyze 8 liters per minute or something like that. And so you would know um, how much mass is on that filter and you would divide it by the volume of air that was sucked through and you would do a time weighted average and then you would find out um, how much of that metal was in the air. Oh, right on. That makes a lot of sense. Huh. Um, okay. So I guess like it's, it's become uh, pretty clear through this interview that you have like a lot of different passions, but I think that the over overarching theme is like it's it's a passion for research 
And so I know also that you have been a part of the Research Ambassadors Program for the last year at UMBC. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of uh, talking to me and the audience just about what that program is and kind of what the overarching goals of that uh, program are. Yeah, sure. So the Research Ambassador Program, I believe, started in January 2019, and you were one of part of the first cohort um, as well. I was. Yeah, you're <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and essentially, it's, it's really great because uh, basically it's a program that invites uh, people, uh, students from all different disciplines, it's not only the sciences, because people usually think, oh, research happens in the sciences, but it's not only happens in the sciences, but in humanities and many and history and other subjects. So um, it's a great way for uh, people to get together and share their passion of research to other students at the university. So that's what the program is all about. Yeah, I think like one of the cool things about it for sure is that it was a diverse group of people like it, we had someone that was studying history and like health sciences and it was just all these yeah things that I I obviously know that they exist but it's like how do you do history yeah, research yeah, exactly. and then it's really mm. cool yeah and it's run by the office of research oh, yes, that's correct. yeah it's run by the office and so what kind of um what kind of like outreach type of activities like when I was a research ambassador it was we were only there for about a semester because it was the first the first cohort, and we were kind of just, like, learning. <laughs> yeah. So we did a lot of just, like, meetings about research. But, like, what have you guys been up to? Yeah, so we've been part of a, a couple of activities. Um, but as you know, yeah, there was a bunch of things this year that sort of affected our productivity as well as yeah. researchers <laughs> and also as research ambassadors. Like, there was a strike, you know, there's a COVID. So, but we tried our best to, to do a couple of activities. And uh, some of them I would mention is like we did one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews with um, students. So they would approach us and ask about research opportunities because I know as an undergrad, a lot of people were clueless about, oh, how do I get into research? You know, it's like this ivory tower and I don't know how to reach it. But actually it's pretty accessible. You just need to know sort of the skills to uh, do research in the first place and to get that experience and that foot in the door, right? And so as yeah. research ambassadors, we met with students like um, there was a couple of students every month and we would meet with them personally and try to connect them with research opportunities. And, and many of them were successful. Um, and uh, I mean, some of them went on to have a research um, position at what is it uh, in conjunction with UBC interviewing some patients at a hospital or something so yeah so cool um, we tried our best to match them up with opportunities that are meaningful to them and hopefully will help them in their careers and then another thing we did um, so similar to you I actually uh, like doing like research podcasts and talking to people about their research too but ours was more focused on trying to help students get that research opportunity and how to get it so we had a research the north podcast and i did it with patrick smith and he has a great radio voice as well um and uh, we basically he does i just listened yeah, to an episode <laughs> yeah. and he was so nervous doing it at first so it was really great because it was like a learning experience for all of us um, and basically we had, uh, episodes on like how to get funding and we introduced ourselves and, and stuff like that. So it was fun doing that. Um, it was a nice departure from doing all the like, hard research and lab work and stuff. 
so that was fun. And then another thing is we went out to high schools and we try to get them excited about research or they would come here on some special days, um, like Discovery Day, um, uh, where they actually go around the campus and we give them tours as well, the research facilities and things like that. So those are a couple of things that we did. And we also, oh, we also did a website as well for the research ambassadors. Um, which is up. That's so, cool. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. we also another unique thing this year was we had a distance student. Um, so she oh, was wow. a distance a nursing student. Um, and she was, I believe, in uh, Victoria or somewhere close to there. I'm so bad. I don't even remember where she's from. But um, <laughs> yeah, Laura. And uh, she was our first distance student. She was wondering how we can connect distance students or from other campuses other than Prince George to the research community. And so that was one of the ways that we, we solved that through a website or um, blog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. That's quite unique. Um, well, I think we're going to take uh, another quick break. Um, and I think in the, this little last set of questions, we'll probably talk a little bit more about the Research Ambassadors program and maybe some tips for students if, the, if they're listening.
everybody by John Legend and the Roots. You're listening to CFUR 88.7 FM online at cfur.ca and in podcast form at anchor.fm slash the abstract. And welcome back to the abstract. Today we have been talking to Anne Duong about her, man, just plethora of experience here at UMBC in a bunch of different research labs and now as a research ambassador. Um, and so, Anne, I guess just uh, we talked quite a bit about the what the program looked like this year and and kind of the overarching idea of it. So I was just wondering if you could talk to maybe why why you think research is so important and why you think it's uh, important to get involved early. Yeah, um, well, research is really important because it basically helps our society move forward, I would say. Um, because by doing research, you're basically asking questions, all starts from questions, um, and you're trying to answer them um, in the best way that you can. And there's many ways to do that. And the amazing thing about research, too, is that it's not only a lonely, isolated process, but it's it's about connecting people together from many dis- different disciplines and from different walks of life together um, to try to find a solution to a problem because the problem is most likely affecting everybody uh, despite their age or ethnicity or, or, or whatnot. So that's why research is so important um, because it emphasizes that collaborative aspect um, and it answers questions that can help society move forward. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's so much, there's like a lot of misconception because of, I don't know, TV and media and whatever, where all you see for quote unquote research is like people in labs with, yeah <laughs> you know, whatever, micro pipettes. And it's like, yeah, that's part of it, but that's not the whole part of research. Yeah, I agree. Which is why I guess why I like it so much. Like I get to go out and work in the Nichaco, but I'm also interacting with students from the high school that are working in the Nichaco. And yeah, yeah it's, it's such a collaborative thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of uh, there's environmental problems that are sometimes I get a bit 
disenchanted thinking like well does my work really like matter like do people care about sediment and it's like well yeah because these are the waterways that they use for their livelihoods like yeah exactly it's, it's the little things you don't realize affect their lives but they do right and trying to shine a light on these things are so important yeah, because people take yeah. it for granted, right? Oh, sediment, whatever. But <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, I find it so, one of the mo- more rewarding things, I think, sometimes is when I, you know, you we can, sometimes when we're describing our projects, maybe the, the wording is too lofty or whatever. But when you really break it down to the fundamentals, mm-hmm. it's so frequent that members of the public will be like, oh, like, I heard that there's a problem with phosphorus in Lake Erie. Like, does your project affect that? Mm, yeah like, yeah yeah it does yeah exactly uh-huh <laughs> and so I guess um another part of the research ambassadors work that I found to be pretty cool um well it stems from the fact that UNBC is fairly unique in that they are so adamant and active in getting undergrads involved in research mm-hmm. so is that something that you like you know you found at UNBC you seem to be pretty proactive but was that something that you thought was maybe a bit unique about the university? Yeah, definitely. So UNBC is a small size university, research intensive university, and it's quite unique in that the classes are very small. So if you go to a university like, say, the University of Toronto, um, yeah. <laughs> good luck trying to get any research opportunities as undergrads. Um, but if, if you're at UNBC, for example, you get to interact with your professors a lot. Um, and you get to ask them questions and um, talk to graduate students and actually see research um, go into the labs. And it's it's a really great opportunity for an undergrad to get research here at UNBC. And there's also lots of awards, lots of scholarships, lots of funding as well. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it can seem sometimes I think like a bit of a like a brick wall. If you don't know how to scale that wall, you're just stuck. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The UNBC definitely opens doors. Yeah, for sure. And people here are so friendly and so open and so willing to share their knowledge. And yeah, it's really great. <laughs> yeah, I after I was like done with most of the like I was just writing up my master's. I just remember telling anyone that would listen, like, I think I owe half this campus a beer because <laughs> people help. Like, <laughs> like they'll just go out of their way to help you with whatever you need. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And did you say um, this year for the Research Ambassadors program that you also talked to high schoolers? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's, was that mostly like in, in Prince George or? Yeah, it was mostly in Prince George, but one of our Research Ambassadors actually traveled to Alberta for a recruitment event. Um, oh, wow. And we're hoping in the future uh, there's a possibility of, well, if the COVID situation is, uh, you know, <laughs> getting better, but um, hopefully to bring some other students to other cities um, to promote UNBC and the research activities there. So, yeah. That's very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. This was the first, like, like it, during my undergrad, I, I don't think I ever saw like a high schooler in the lab and I hear about that happening quite a bit here at UNBC. So that's also pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. Actually, there's a program where, where high schoolers can actually go into labs and do research for the summer. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I guess before we uh, wrap up the interview, mm-hmm. um, I'm just wondering if maybe you could give us like a, a pared down or like a quick little what you would how you would encourage someone who's thinking like, huh, maybe I maybe I could do undergrad research. Um, just like a little blurb about what, what some tangible steps are that they can do to maybe get involved. Yeah, sure. So some steps are, so I would say you should start off by finding out what your interests are 
based on the courses that you've taken, but also to be open-minded because sometimes if you haven't done something yet, you don't even know if you like it or not, right? So be open-minded and as an undergrad, honestly, try whatever you can um, and just say yes to everything. (laughs) And then from (laughs) there, you can see what you like and what you don't like. And then um, I would also say always read. and not only read your textbook because sometimes it's boring and you know there's so many pages and you're like where do I start but actually read journal articles because and and start early start reading journal articles because the way they're written it's it's quite succinct and it's it's very narrow and focused on a particular topic um and so I would encourage you to read journal articles and especially if you know of any professors here that are doing research that you like um, read their papers, um, read about their research, go to their office hours and talk to them. And also um, ask if you can volunteer. That's another step um, in your undergrad. Say, can I volunteer in your lab? And then you get to see what it's like to actually do hands-on research in their lab. Talk to their, to, to their graduate students. Basically try to talk to anybody you can, try to get information from them and volunteer. Uh, because most likely when you're an undergrad, they won't take you on as a research assistant as yet. You need the experience, right? So volunteering is a good way yeah. to do that. Um, and also, if you're interested in research, you can apply for the Research Ambassadors Program, and the application is open, actually. Uh, um, yes, this is right. Yeah, so uh, the deadline is July 6th. And um, if you go to the Office of Research website on research opportunities, then you can find um, basically the information on how to apply there. So I really encourage anybody uh, who's interested in research or who has done research to apply for the research ambassador position, you will regret it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's all I have. <laughs> I guess one one question for those, because um, I had quite a few people approach me when they when the second round of uh, research ambassadorship uh, jobs, I guess, came up, is like, uh, can you just maybe just like give a little bit of a blurb of like what to expect as an ambassador? Like I found that there was quite a bit of freedom in what we did. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, you can do whatever you want, basically, as, as long as it doesn't involve profanity or anything um, <laughs> <laughs> or nudity, um, <laughs> except if it's fish or something. But <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. So, yeah. Um, Basically, it's six hours a week, I believe, um, which is not a lot. And most of the times you can juggle, you can do like two, two hours one week. And then the other week you can do more like eight weeks or I don't know, yeah. to balance that out. Sorry, I can't do math right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, you can do that. And uh, you can also uh, come up with any ideas like the research podcast that we came up with or the website so they're all they're very supportive with any ideas that you have that can encourage um sort of research excitement at a university so and another thing is that you should be very passionate about research and you should um you know like to talk to students and share share your knowledge with them so that's another thing um, if you're an introverted person, that's fine too. This is a great opportunity for you to open up and be um, extroverted uh, because I know as researchers, sometimes you're just stuck and you don't have very good social skills. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But actually, I'm not kidding. But <laughs> Yeah, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you're not kidding. Yeah, so this is a great opportunity for you to um, actually get out of the lab and, and do something that's uh, impactful for, for students. Yeah, I think that is like, that is such good advice because I am one of those more introverted people. And 
I find I found that the program like we're all so excited about research, not even just our own, just like getting people involved. And so even if you're like a bit nervous, like when you talk to a group of, you know, grade 10 students, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it just that those kind of nervousness kind of goes out the window. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Well, that was great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Anne. No, thank you for inviting me. I'm a huge fan of your show. <laughs> uh, Seifer's great. We all love Seifer. Yeah, I know. He's great. <laughs> And we'll definitely uh, put a link in our show notes to the Research Ambassadors podcast. And is that going to keep carrying on? Uh, yes, hopefully. Uh, we're hoping to start again in September. Nice. That's yeah. great. Uh -huh. Yeah, once the studio reopens. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thanks again for, for coming on the show. Well,
track 13th Century Metal by the absolutely brilliant artist Brittany Howard, who you may know from the awesome band Alabama Shakes, and that was from her 2019 release called Jamie, which if you haven't listened to, the whole album deserves a listen. You've been listening to The Abstract on CFUR 88.7 FM, online at cfur.ca, and in podcast form on Spotify and Apple and Stitcher, and really wherever else you can listen to podcasts. Next week, my trusty co-host Jeremy will be back in action, and we will be interviewing, well, either Colin Chisholm or Aaron Berenwald, either of which will be a super fun, super interesting interview. I hope that you learned a lot about Anne's research and also about the Research Ambassadors Program at UMBC and all the neat things that are going on surrounding that program and what those Research Ambassadors do. Anyone who's listening who is interested in getting involved, like Ann said, they're currently hiring, and there's lots of information about the program, about what's expected of you, and what's been done in the past on the UNBC Office of Research website, where you can also now find this podcast. So thanks again for listening, and I hope that you tune in in the next few weeks. We've got lots of good shows coming up for you. Be safe and be kind.